this single act on Calvary demands a response. Modern day medical examiners state that Jesus died from blood loss, exhaustion, and asphyxiation. Positioned that he was placed where they nailed his hands to the cross and then crossed his legs and nailed his legs as well. Made it impossible for him to breathe. The stretching of where they placed the nails caused him to have to push up on a little stand. They put his foot so that he can relieve the pain that was tearing out his skin. Every time he lifted up, he rubbed his back that was already scourged upon the wood that was on the cross. Every time he stood up, he took a breath. His lungs filled with water. We know what that is. Heart began to malfunction. His kidneys started to malfunction. Finally, his heart couldn't pump the blood through his body that he needed because every blood that was pumped was lost. Modern-day medical examiners state that he should have died on the way to Calvary if he would have carried that cross on his own. When he collapsed, he was near death already. This demands a response. I'm concerned that a lot of us don't necessarily understand what happened that day. The brutality that our Lord sustained and suffered so that you and I could be free. So that you and I can live this abundant life. So you and I can walk freely, enjoying a relationship with the God who did this. You did the crime. You, sitting in your seat. You committed the sin. Stop blaming your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your wife, your uncle. You did it. You all came to a place where you decided this is what you wanted to do. Imagine that you are about to be sentenced. You get before a judge, and the judge is getting ready to give you a sentence, and along comes this long-haired Galilean in a white robe and sandals. It says, Judge, can I, can I say something? I want to take his place. I want to take Gus's place. And I take a look at him and say, man, you sure you want to do this? And he looks back at me and looks back at you and says, yes. I think you're worth it. See, I see you better than you see yourself. And I see what I can do with you if you allow me to. He steps in and takes a sentence. Now you walk away. You did the crime. You're about to be sentenced. You're found guilty. Unanimous decision. He steps in and takes your place and says that you are free. What do you do with that freedom now? Some of us have gone back and committed more crimes. Some of us have gone back and forgotten what's happened. I want to read something to you. It's pretty graphic. I promise to offend you today, 
I promise to challenge and bless you all in the same day. Because we have to have this conversation. Because the reality is, you're going to find it, that there are two sides, two enemies to the gospel. Amen? It says, after Jesus was brutally beaten and scourged with the cat of nine tails beyond human recognition, the cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The soldier feels for the depression at the front of his wrist, not the palm of his hand. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist deep into the wound. He quickly does this to the other side. The cross is then lifted into place. His left foot is pressed over backward against the right foot with both feet extended, toes down, and a nail is driven through the arch of each. Leaving the knees flexed, the victim has now been crucified. As he slowly slags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist and not in the hands and believe the pig, he goes on and says, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting so much pressure in that median nerve. He pushes himself upward to avoid. The nerves begin to tear a little bit. As he gets fatigued, his muscles begin to lessen. He takes deeper and deeper breaths, throbbing in pain. Carbon dioxide builds up in his lungs and his bloodstream and the cramps partially subsided as he lifts himself up. It's attempting to gain oxygen into his lungs. And then it's over. He can no longer breathe, can no longer lift himself, and he succumbs to death. Mark chapter 15, verse 24, sums this up as simply saying, and they crucified him. I think because we read those words, we don't get an understanding of what has happened on the cross. And I'm concerned that because we don't understand, we neglect the response that we have to have in light of that sacrifice, and we continue to live lives as we want. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that we can gather in this place to hear your word about your love and the ultimate sacrifice that was made for all of us. Lord, let us sense and feel the sacrifice on the cross for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. William Perkins write this in this book called The Art of Prophesying that I was reading. And he says, I cannot simply tell you over and over that you and I can be saved only by free grace, which we are, without showing how salvation changes our lives. As a result of this saving faith, the Holy Spirit always proceeds to work an inner heart transformation so that we want to obey God out of gratitude and love. Our faith produces, because our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. 
It's important for us to understand that this loving God who forgives us, and this is the two enemies that we're going to be tackling with today, the gospel. The gospel message is God loved you so much. And we'll read that text in a minute. But we all fall on this side sometimes of God loves me. God has forgiven me. Now what? I say yes to Jesus as my Savior, but now what? I, I want Jesus. Now what? The, the flip side is that there's a call to repentance and obedience that has to happen. You've been justified when you say yes to Jesus Christ. That sacrifice that was made is for you to be free. Why would you want to live in bondage? He's paid the ultimate price, the wrath of God. You and I cannot sustain it. He poured it out on Jesus. He took it all for us. But we cannot longer continue to say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and he does. But that demands a response. That kind of love demands a response. How many of us tell someone we love them and wait? What do we wait for? We wait for a response. And if you don't get one, you're like, I don't love me. <laughs> so, so we have to be mindful. And guys, I, I don't want you to use love because you got ulterior motives. I don't want you to drop that. Girls, put your gogs up. I got it. But what I'm saying is that you always look for this response. When you put your best post out there on social media, what are you waiting for? You're waiting for likes, right? You're so vain. You need somebody to like you. And if you don't like, if they don't like you, you stop being their friend. You hit a button and you delete them. God loved you so much that he sent his son to the cross. And I want to read John 3.16. We could remain seated because I got a couple of scriptures I want to read. I'm seeing blurry up here. You got two hacks, Bexy. Two hacks. Okay, much better. You still, I can focus. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, we all know this, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Okay. So before, let's just look at this text really quick, okay? It says that God loved and God gave. Who did it? God. And between God loving and God giving, there's a couple of words there, but his promise is that none should perish but have everlasting life, have eternal life, depending on the verse you live. In other words, eternity is secured for you if you do this part here, which it says, whoever believes. Woo! Whoever believes. That belief is what we call faith. What is it that we believe in? Of course, we go back now. Christmas is coming up. We have the virgin birth. We have his persecution. We have his manifestation, him showing up and walking among us, healing the sick, resurrecting the dead, doing all those wonderful things. If you want to see Jesus, read the Gospels. And you see him moving about life, doing all those things that we love him for. But we forget the sacrifice at the cross, what it cost him, how much pain he endured. It wasn't a slap in the wrist. It wasn't like lay down and we'll pick it up later. No, it was an excruciating death that he endured so that you can live. 
He took your sentence. He took your crime upon himself and said, you go free and now live this wonderful life that brings glory to God. Demands a response. And my concern is that the response you're bringing is not enough. It's not enough. And I'm not saying works. Don't fall on that side. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but he says this clearly. God has done it all already. He's done it all. You don't have to jump higher, run faster, climb, or anything like that. All you have to do is believe in him, in his totality, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. And you believe that he is who he says he is and he done what he said, that, that you believe that, that you embrace that. You can either ignore it, deny it, or embrace it. You can do one of those three things. But all of us in this room who have said yes to Jesus Christ and take a look at something like that and go on living the way we want to live and then using the excuse that I'm in a process, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this. Without faith, it is impossible to do what? Because anyone who comes to him must, say that again, that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is not a Marvel comic. This is not a ghost. This is an actual person that we believe in. Amen? I want to talk to you now about the two enemies of the gospel. I'm going somewhere, so stay with me, please. Okay? You guys are probably wondering why the memories are behind me, right? All right. We'll get to that. Tim Keller says that there are two enemies of the gospel. And he says that they are attitudes of the heart and character. The first one is something we refer to as legalism. Now, we have to be careful with this. Jesus Christ alone, true salvation. He goes on to say this, right? Keep that back up there. He states this, that we are saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, but not by faith which remains alone. Everybody see that? Okay, let's do it again. We are saved through Christ alone. There's no other name in which salvation comes to man. Not all roads lead to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. All right? Thank you, brother. Thank you. You're with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Christ alone. And it's done by faith alone. That's the word believe. We believe in him and that he exists. But that faith doesn't just sit on a park bench. It doesn't. It doesn't warm up the seat that you so reserved. You're all creatures of habit. You all sit in the same place. Unless you get here late, then somebody bumps you from your chair and you catch an attitude. Right? But true salvation always results in good works. Everybody, say the last three words with me. And a... Has your life been changed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? Here are the two enemies because we have a problem with this as we go forward. The first enemy is what we call legalism. And this is the thought that God loves, his love for us is conditioned on something we can be or do. 
some of us still want to procure God to our debt. If I come to church, if I feed the hungry, if you know, I walk the old lady across the street, um, if I give, if I serve, God, look at me. You love me more than you do Gus. Is that true? Do Christians still act that way? Yeah. Jesus loves you, period. Loves you, period. Period. But that love demands a response. And then we have the other side. It's a word antinomianism, which simply means this. It's a belief that I don't have to obey God. It is the thought that since God loves me, regardless of my record, he doesn't mind how morally or immorally I live. This is my once saved, always saved camp. This is where we fall here. We say, well, God did it all. He's done it all. He continued to do it all. He loves me anyway. He's not concerned about what I do or how I act, how I treat my wife, how I treat my husband, how I treat my kids, how I manage my finance. He's not concerned about those things. Is that true? There's some Christians who live that way. There's some people who call themselves Christians and live that way. Now, the word Christian simply means Christ-like. So last night about 2 in the morning, were you Christ-like? Don't answer that question. It's an attitude of the heart and character. And what either one of these things do is exonerate a person from having a response. So we have to find this balance. We have to find this place where we understand we don't work for God's love. He loves us, but he's concerned about us. Because how else would the world know that he exists unless those who profess to be Christians, Christ-like, reflect his glory in the way they move, in the way they talk, the way they act, the way they treat one another. There's only one verse, a couple of verses really, that tie this up. It's found in John chapter 14, verse 21 and 23. I am going to read this and just pay close attention. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. I'm going to say that again. Whoever has my commands, mind you, this is not the Ten Commandments. The commands are found in the New Testament. And keeps them is the one who loves me. Now, I'm not even going to ask you if you love God. I'm not going to ask you, because all of you say, yeah, I love God. He's my homie. He's my buddy. I love that guy. But it says here, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus goes on to say, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. You believe, you obey. 
You believe, you obey. You can't just believe and go about living your life and saying that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, and meanwhile, you have, you know, and you don't do. Here's the big idea. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. Husbands, you know how you're supposed to be treating your wives. How many times you run into somebody and says, I know, I know, I know. So why don't you do, do, do? <laughs> and then they say, I don't know. We started this conversation with you knowing. You don't do it, and you don't know why you don't do it. And it's because we haven't embraced the totality of what's been done for us. In light of eternity, the little squabbles that we have here matter nothing. This is you acting a fool. This is you being miserable and wanting to make everybody else miserable around you. This is you catching a little infant tantrum. If you can't have it, you cry about it. That's what this is. In light of eternity, you're missing the point. Listen to me. We're going to spend more time on that end than we're going to spend here. Why are you still squabbling over little things? Listen, the socks don't matter. The toothbrush being not covered doesn't matter. Lowering the seat doesn't matter. What matters is that God loves you and I have to love you. Wives, you know how to treat your husbands. You know what you always put after it? But. But you don't know. I didn't find that in the scriptures. No, but if he doesn't hold it down, he doesn't hold his own, he don't got a job, he's always doing that. It doesn't say that there. It says, wives, respect your husbands. You know what it says there. It teaches us in the Bible how we should deal with conflict. You know, but you don't do. What's the sense of knowing something and then not doing it? That's why we fall on this side, oh, God loves me, God loves me. Listen, God loves you so much, he meets you where you are, but then he says, I can't leave you there because I want to put you on display. I want to see what happens with a life that surrenders and yields and lives daily in repentance and in obedience. I'm reading this great book, by the way. I recommend it to everyone, but some people stop reading it. They don't want to read it no more. It's called No More Excuses. I live in a place of no more excuses. My bad. I did it. Sorry. I love you. Let me break. I'll clean it up. Don't worry about it. Right? I got to own up to my part. All of us in this room have seen that video, have heard the scriptures, we heard messages, we heard sermons. People have even told us, yo, stop doing that. You know not to do it. But you still do it. So it's not what you know, it's what you do with what you know. I have all this information. Listen, all of us in this room, we don't need another sermon. We don't need another book. We need to put everything down, everything we've learned, we need to do it. That's it. We just need to do it. How many more books you need to read? It's going to tell you the same thing. Same thing. Every page you turn to, obey, obey, repent, obey, obey, love your neighbor. It's going to tell you the same thing. It's like you have to listen to it in like 20 different modalities. The Bible is clearly stating this. He says, man, if, if anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, stop lying. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop sleeping around. 
Stop hurting the people you love. Stop showing up on Sundays waiting for a miracle. <coughs> when all he's asking you to do is, if you've read it, obey it. I've been teaching you for a long time. Obey it. Follow through with it. And this goes for everybody here. Stop using excuses. You got something going on inside you. In light of eternity, work it out. Work it out. Listen, I haven't arrived. Guys that are around me, they know. I haven't arrived. I don't have wings, a halo. I don't walk on water. I would like to, but I haven't. I'm in there with you as well. Every time I read or see something like that, it just breaks me because I realize how short I fall knowing what I know and still not doing it. But it causes me to weep. It causes me to repent and it causes me to say, okay, God, obedience hurts. It hurts awful, but you hurt more on the cross. So whatever I got to swallow here to bring glory to your name, I'll do it. I'll do it. See, we all want God's blessings, don't we, all of us? It's not the lotto, so stop praying for that one, okay? And God's love is unconditional. And one of the things he tells us in Matthew 28, he tells us to go and teach people what we have learned. What are you going to go teach people? What have you learned? What example are you being in light of the cross and the sacrifice that's been made for you? Oh, well, I love them and they love me. If they don't call me, I won't call them. Let somebody else do it. Oh, here's a dollar. Roll down the window and just speed away. God has called us to be light of this world. That means that somehow, you have to be attractive to those who are in darkness. You have to be in such, living in such a way that it reflects what God has done and is doing in your life. James sums this up. I've been standing up here with my jacket undone, and no one's told me anything except maybe. I tried. I tried. I tried. I tried. <laughs> Tell me something. For those who know me, you know I don't do this, okay? But it's part of my illustration, so bear with me, all right? Okay, fixed it. Now all you people can breathe easy. <laughs> Some of us are like that. We'll see something wrong and not say anything. We'll look in the mirror, see something is wrong and not fix it. Come every Sunday, sit in the same seat, hear a sermon that beckons and challenges you to change, and you don't. James says this. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. This is my dear brothers and sisters. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. See, I don't have to preach about this. All you have to do is read it. You see, we fall on the side which exonerates us from certain behaviors. And we say, well, God loves me, God understands, but he says here, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil. Is God going to do that, or you're supposed to do that? Some of you are waiting for God to do it. Some of you get on your knees and pray, God, help me. And then you get up and chase that same thing. Then he goes on to say this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, it's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. God's word is a mirror. How comfortable have you been staring at this? Anybody? I, sometimes you go to amusement parks and they have these distorted mirrors, right? Makes you look slim when you're not. <laughs> Makes you look bigger when you're not. Stretches your face and discombobulates it in all shapes and sizes, and we kind of laugh about it. We're still laughing about it. God's word is a mirror to us. It reveals to us what's not right in our lives. And we look and walk away and do nothing about it. In light of that sacrifice, it demands a response greater than what we are bringing. I put the mirrors out so you can look at what we look at every single day when we're up here on Sundays. I'm not sure how much of this you'll remember. But here's what I know, what the word tells me. It says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I look in the mirror, fix myself up a little bit, not much. How many, how many, how many of you are uncomfortable with my jacket like that? Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No, I didn't want you to vote. I didn't want you. I just want you to realize that we see this every day in our lives. We see ourselves not properly attired, not on the outside so much, but on the inside. And there's still stuff in my heart that I'm asking God to purge. There's still thoughts that come to me that I'm asking God to deal with on a regular basis. But I'm repenting and I'm obeying. 
I'm better today than I was yesterday simply because I've come to God with that problem. And I've made certain adjustments in my life to allow obedience to rule and reign in that area. I don't yell anymore, guys. I don't. Like, I haven't yelled in I don't know how many years. Even my kids in school say, Mr. Rodriguez, you don't yell at us. So everybody else yells at you. You know what I walk around with? A sign. It says, be quiet, please. What I do? I walk around like this in my classroom. And I wait. And it takes less time than if I yell at them. Yo, stop talking. He's walking around with a sign. I'm walking around like some madman. It's something that I ask God to help me with. Because I don't know about you. When someone yells at me, I don't hear him. I don't hear him. It's looking in this mirror of God's word and saying that if I want peace, then I have to be a man of peace. If, 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 and, and this, listen, my wife, every now and then, when my voice just gets a little higher, she says, tone it down. Can't hear you. Tone it down. And I'm like, I'm not yelling. <laughs> right? But she's reminding me of what I've already committed to, which is what? I want peace in my home. I want to be heard in my home. Yelling and screaming with a bullhorn is not going to get me heard. It's going to get me shut off, ignored, dismissed. James sums this up. And this is all I'm saying, and I'm going to get out of your way. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. You don't need another sermon. You know what you're supposed to do. In light of eternity and the sacrifice that was made for you, these little things here, they don't matter. doesn't matter. It's you getting it right here, and God will work this out here. When you're right vertically, God will work it out here. Because those things that used to affect you won't affect you anymore. God gives you this new perspective. He pulls you back and says, man, you're too close to the mess. Let me pull you back so that you can see how I'm working. Marriages, I want to give you a gift. When you find yourself in a heated conversation, can one of you call a timeout? Can one of you say, whoa, timeout, I need Jesus right now, and give yourself some space? You're going to say things that you're going to regret. You're going to do things that are going to hurt the heart of God. And probably continue to drive a wedge in your relationship. Single men and single women in this room, for crying out loud, give yourself over to God and wait on God. Wait on God. He picks the best. Your, your pick has been off for a long time. <laughs> Let him be the one that chooses for you. Chooses for you. I've been married for 30 plus years. Last couple of years have been really rough. But it's got more to do with me than my wife. It's my attitude. It's my stuff. But I said, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I don't know if she's saying praise God, but 
but I've committed not to go anywhere. And it's the same way with God. When you commit to him, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I mean, seriously, want to go back to crack? Heroin? Streaks? Jails? Institutions? All the medication you were taking before? Cutting yourself? Throwing up? Rolling around in dirt and saying you're clean? That's what you want to do? Disciples thought about doing that, and they said, where will we go? If you have words of life, where will we go? So I ask you, what response should you have for what's been done for you? You can't do it on your own. You have to embrace everything that Jesus has brought to the table. And let me tell you something. He is still with us, working in you and through you and for you. He's interceding for you. He's waiting patiently to return for you. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He is with you. You may not see him. You may be squeezed a little hard today, and you may be sensing, God, where are you? God is in the midst of your situation and your circumstance, and he is for you, not against you. And because of that, no weapon forged against you will prosper. No circumstance that you are in will overwhelm you or overcome you because you are more than a conqueror. You have zero dollars in your bank account. I know a God who owns every resource in this world. And God will provide for you. Amen. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. You know what you need to do. For some of us, it's something as simple. Just shut up. Shut up. You got nothing to say, shut up. You got nothing nice to say, shut up. You got too much to say, shut up. That's why you have two of these and one of this. And here's the danger so that you know. This speaks from here. Whatever comes out of your mouth is in here. And it reveals your character. It reveals your attitude. You want to be polite to Pastor Gus and then treat your wife nasty. I prefer you be nasty to me and nice to your wife. And I'm talking to the men because I deal a lot with the men. I challenge them every single day, every single day, every single day. You need to be better. No, but you don't know. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> you don't understand. Yeah, I understand. I'm there with you, bro. But in order for change to happen, out here, we have to change in here. Amen. There are some things you know, all of you. You know the stuff you're doing ain't right. I'm not here to condemn you. The word of God already does that. And you can ignore it, deny it, or embrace it. I encourage you to embrace it and see what happens with a life that surrenders and yields to Jesus Christ. See what God can do for you and through you and for those people around you. A lot of you had Thanksgiving with your families. How did that go? Were you able to minister to them? Some of us flee. We were there for two hours and then we left because they were crazy. I got that. I understand that. 
But are they seeing what God is doing in your life? Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Hallelujah. 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 Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You can pray right where you're sitting. You've heard something. Maybe you need to repent from something. Maybe you need to ask God to help you in this area of your life where you have been lacking. You know what you're supposed to be doing, but you're still not doing it. Jesus took it all. Everything God had, he took it. He endured and suffered great pain, anguish, and death. We can't keep saying that Jesus is my Savior and not my Lord. We can't keep saying, I can't do this. Yes, you can. And greater is he who lives in you than he who is in this world. And the Spirit is always willing. If we're a people who confess, repent, obey, yield, surrender, these are all words that we're familiar with. Just imagine for a moment if we were a people that repented and obeyed. Oh, God, what an army we would be for the glory of God. So, Father, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I lift up each and every person at the sound of my voice. I pray, Lord, that the words that were shared and spoken, the depiction of Calvary and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you gave because you loved and you promised for those who believe. Lord, I believe in you. I believe in the work of your Holy Spirit in my life. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the things that come to my life because you've given me a new perspective. You allow me to see things for what they are, and the devil is a liar. He has no place and no hold in our lives anymore. Those who have been set free are free indeed. There's power in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I can call you Father. I can call you Father today because of Jesus Christ. I have been grafted in. I've been adopted into your kingdom. I'm no longer an orphan, God. I have a father in heaven. A father who's concerned about me, who cares about me. And Lord, I thank you for reminding me of this. Help us to not be people who look in the mirror of your word, hear it, but do nothing about it. Help us to be hearers and doers of your word. Lord, I love you.
for no other reason except you loved me first. You rescued me from a life of depravity and debauchery. You cleaned me up and set me on this faith journey, Lord. Putting people in my life, like the people in this room, family and friends, to come alongside me, not to run the race for me, but to encourage me. To remind me to keep going. And Lord, I remind every person in this room that this race is not for the swift, but for those who finish and finish well. So Lord, help us to surrender, help us to yield, help us to trust you in your goodness, in your mercy, in your compassion toward us. Thank you 